This is Unnamed in Lights. Well, episode three time, and let me introduce you to Donald Main, a multi-instrumentalist, composer and teacher. This passionate musician has worked in the theatre world, in brass bands and his own jazz trio, wooing audiences in regional Victoria and entertaining crowds around the world. Find out more about his time in the United States and what it took to make it overseas, playing at Disneyland and living his dream, inspiring students, proving that country performers truly have the drive and skills to succeed abroad. Meet Donald Main. We met in Mildura through musical theatre circles, I think, and you're, we know you're a big part of the music scene in Sunraysia in northwest Victoria, but you studied in Adelaide. So what was that experience like? Uh, it was an excellent experience. I um, I went over at the end of year 12, uh, did my Bachelor of Music in Jazz Performance, um, which at the time was just a plan to get a, a BMAS and see where that took me and then um, ended up doing honours and then a grad dip and then coming back home to Muldura after all that. So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty crazy sort of time. It allowed me to um, to meet some really amazing teachers, uh, playing the police band over there when I was doing um, work experience sort of with those. My teacher was in that. Uh, did the cabaret festivals and a couple of fringe things and, yeah, it was really quite a, a really amazing experience for someone so young from the country to just have a chance to do that. There's a great art scene in over in Adelaide in South Australia, and does the police band still exist? Do you know? Uh, yes, yes, they do. They're one of the few in Australia, I think, that still do. Um, one of the world's best, actually. They get invited to international festivals all the time, and um, I think now, yeah, it's probably gone through a few innovations since I've been there. A few different changes, but um, but I think Dave Pelaine's taken them now. So. Yeah, they're, they're still strong and doing a really good job over there. Okay, and you've ended up becoming a school teacher. So how do you juggle classroom work and gigs and performing all at once? Yeah, that's a, um, it's a challenge. Um, I know when I first started teaching, that was often a question that would come up. And uh, I guess I prioritise Monday to Friday as a teacher. And, um, and I still do a whole lot of stuff in the community during the week. Uh, and then Friday night, Normally after work, I'd get in a car or jump on a plane and fly or drive to somewhere, usually Melbourne um, or Adelaide, and then either do a performance or jump on another plane to go somewhere else to do a performance somewhere else. So um, usually the weekends are pretty crazy. Um, I usually drive Friday night to Melbourne or somewhere and then do Saturday rehearsals and gigs, sometimes a Sunday performance, and then try and get back in time for work on Monday morning, uh, which has so far been successful. I've been able to negotiate uh, that fairly well. Uh, very rarely do I need to take a, a time, uh, personal leave or whatever, to have that extra day, but uh, usually I can do that in the weekend. And how much has that routine been disrupted lately this year and 2020? Yeah, so um, my last away gig really... In twenty well for twenty twenty it was in March and I didn't do another one for the rest of the year so um, the the lockdown the first couple of lockdowns we had really did affect um, the travel um, but I, I took it as a bit of a blessing it allowed me to slow down a little bit and um, and just take care of a few things I needed to take care of as far as you know health and finances and all those sort of things that happen when you're traveling a lot um, so I I was able to sort of take care of some of those and and just try and see the normal in the very not normal situation that was lockdown 
Um, so I sort of seen it as a bit of a positive, uh, but a lot of my friends who were relying on some of that money as a teacher, I, I got sort of paid to be a teacher. So uh, as an artist, you know, as uh, the guys who don't have that opportunity obviously got hit real hard. And, you know, a lot of those were my mates and it was terrible to hear their stories and trying to help those guys out a little bit as well was um, was important for a lot of us. But 2021 was interesting. It started off sort of the same as 2020 ended and then got a little bit better, especially up in regional. We were allowed to do performances and do a, the odd, um, you know, recording or whatever together. Um, but then the lockdowns hit again and, and we're sort of to and fro at the moment. Uh, I'm lucky I can do a lot of recording at home in the studio that I've got. So I was able to record uh, for people overseas and, and around the place um, remotely and, and do some projects. Uh, but that was a challenge in itself, trying to sync up schedules and times and things like that. Uh, but I guess it's being innovative and trying to do the best we can to make we, you know, the skill set that what we've got and, and make it something that we can share with people around the world and hopefully gives people some hope and inspiration to, to be better people and to do the right thing and be nice to each other. And that's sort of what the aim is, I think, for a lot of us guys at the moment to, to be performing, just to share the love. For sure. And what overseas projects have you done lately? We've done a, there's a jazz, um, one that's just about to come out actually, there was a jazz um, composer in America called Sammy Nestico. And so one of my friends in England, um, who's a professional trombone player, wanted to do a tribute to him as a trombonist. Uh, so a whole heap of us have recorded a, um, a piece called A Time for Love for, for him, um, which was amazing, just come out of nowhere. Uh, I've done a couple of international interviews about some compositions that I've done and, and a few uh, writing things. I've just joined up with an academy in, in England uh, for writers for the for the Salvation Army, um, who I'm a part of. And uh, and so we're now sharing resources and ideas across the globe, really. Um, so that's just been a recent thing we've joined up with. Um, we've been doing some projects for mates around the place and... Uh, and a couple of uh, projects which was based out of Queensland where a guy got um, all these people that he knows around the world to play uh, and a good mate of mine, so he got me involved as well. So I've sort of kept busy. I've done a few little jazz quintet projects. I've done uh, my own jazz projects, like a one-man band type thing, uh, just basically to fill in the time and to learn some new instruments and get better at them. So um, they've, they're up on Facebook and YouTube and stuff and, you know, they're not there for anything else to share the love and you know let people enjoy some time of of music and do you prefer jazz improvisation or music theater productions would you say i think i've got a soft spot for jazz um i love theater as far as the production aspects and the performances and seeing what goes into them um i, I guess the difference is it's, it's two very different worlds uh the world of jazz performance where the craft is learnt as a, as a collective, but, you know, a lot of the work is done at home by yourself. We're in a musical theatre setting, it's very social. Um, so, you know, like, we've, we've just delayed our Mamma Mia till next year to 2022 um, due to the COVID restrictions, but that was uh, three hours on a Monday, three hours on a Thursday, three hours on a Sunday of rehearsals with the cast. And then on top of that, I would have had to do um, orchestral rehearsals and any other rehearsals we have to do as well. So that's just one show of maybe three or four we do a year around the town. So that's a, that's a pretty big investment, and it's um and and a lot of that's community work, volunteer work. So it's it's not even paid for us. So it's um that's a big investment, but it's a different beast. Um, you, you got to look at 
I think I look at different projects as different um, skill sets and that one for me is more, uh, I guess, teaching the finer points of, of what we have to do on stage and get it right. We're in a jazz performance setting. I might be playing with guys that I've been playing with for years and we all sort of know our stuff and so we just play, uh, which is a little bit less stressful in some ways but challenging in others to, to be inventive. Uh, so and I like that about the jazz. I like the fact that it's inventive and that it's it's spontaneous but not spontaneous. Um, that we can play some of the most classic melodies from eras gone by and people know them from all ages. Um, and even even stuff like the newer Buble stuff and Diana Krall and and those sort of performances that are now bringing jazz back. Nora Jones, those sort of people. So it's it's sort of opened up again for us to be able to have those those performances and and have fun, but. At the moment, um, yeah, restrictions are meaning we can't perform still and, um, and that's a bit of a challenge for us. Yeah, no one can do anything. I know a few years back you had the amazing opportunity to perform in the US at the Rose Bowl Parade. Do you want to talk a bit about that experience? Yeah, that was, that was, a, um, that was a wild ride. Uh, so basically what happened was um, the Salvation Army uh, in the Rose Bowl in America, uh, or Salvation Army in America, in a place called Pasadena, have done, I think, 135 or something now, parades. Uh, so what did I start in 18? It might have been 125 when I did it. So, yes, it's probably up there with up in the 130s now. Uh, they invited the band um, from Australia, a, a newly formed band that was formed specially for the trip, a brass band from the Salvation Army to go over and be a touring band. Um, and it was a youth band, so it was anything up to the ages of 30 uh, and I just scraped in at 29. Uh, so we had some experienced guys in the band and, and some younger guys as well and uh, we rehearsed uh, I think it was four times in Melbourne over four weeks and then uh, a couple of camps, jumped on a plane and uh, flew over to uh, America and um, landed in LA at LAX and then pretty much hit the ground running, got to our accommodation, rehearsed Next day we were uh, performing. We did San Diego, uh, the San Diego Bloom Parade. Uh, we played at Disneyland. And then uh, the main reason we were there was to play for this Rose Bowl Parade, which uh, is the biggest football game, college football game in America. And uh, and we got to march the, well, back then I think it's 5.6 miles, so about 10 Ks. Um, we had to march that with a 180-piece brass band, uh, which was quite an amazing experience. And we just walked, or marched, down the road playing some pieces of music and, yeah, unforgettable experience. Um, one that, yeah, you sort of put in the memory bank as a special occasion and, um, yeah, sort of got back and had the whirlwind of having to go back to work and having to settle back in from that experience into a community and uh, a lot of interest was around that at the time with the media. So it was just interviews the next day and jet lagged and <laughs> having a lot of fun trying to do that. But uh, the experience itself was amazing. I met so many great people um hanging out and playing at disneyland was sort of a, a bucket list item for me and um we, we achieved that and just yeah really had an opportunity to learn leadership as well um as the old one of the older guys in the group we were given some responsibilities for the young guys and uh, and basically helped them lead through some of the the aspects of what they were doing um and that was a, a good opportunity for us to to mentor as well some of those younger guys so it was a lot of um learning out of it it was amazing. I went to the MASH site uh, where they film MASH. Um, that was up on the top of Mount Craig where we were staying. And to go in there and just see the movie set and 
it was a you know the real Hollywood set. See the mountain that the helicopter flies over. That was that was pretty cool. Um, something that we yeah definitely put in our memory bank. And how does a large scale event like Rose Bowl Parade? How does that compare to Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm, where you also performed? Completely crazy. Um, we had security was over the top. Obviously, um, it's a major event. America's uh, it's a different world now than what it was you know 20 years ago with, with September 11th and stuff that changed America and changed the world and so we um for a large-scale event like the Rose Bowl Parade where you're you bust in you um you have to sort of go through security protocols uh you march everyone's you know booked in censored knows what's going on uh, everyone's checked and all that sort of stuff uh but it's yeah it, it's a different experience when you're playing at Disneyland where I mean we had free access to the park for the for the day which was great um we could go on the rides and everything else but we had set times we had to perform uh and that's that's just a different world you know the Disneyland is a, they call it the happiest place on earth for a reason um we missed out on the fireworks which wasn't the happiest place on earth but but uh but it really is a a, a world where people can get lost in everything that's there uh, for us with the Rose Bowl Parade, I think we were just all so nervous about doing so well that it became something that we were really serious about and um, and it was a really serious performance for us and we um, we just had a ball. We got put on ESPN. Um, yeah, we were able to watch it later having dinner on the TV. It was just a surreal experience seeing all that happen and just the amount of people. There was millions of people just lining the streets, um, which you just don't see anywhere. We also played for the Grand Final Parade that year in Melbourne, um, so I, a lot of us barrack for Hawthorne, and uh, and so we actually got to play the Hawthorne theme for the Melbourne Grand Final that year, uh, which was awesome. You know, walking down Melbourne's you know Grand Final Parade, playing a tune that we all actually enjoyed because we went for the team. Uh, that was a really cool experience as well as part of that. So we we had these sort of byproduct experiences, um, like where we just got to perform for different things. We performed at the Edge Centre and a few other places in Melbourne and. Yeah, it was just a real interesting situation to be in um, and to be able to play at different places like the San Diego, you know, near the boats and in the uh, foreshore area there and we played a concert there and uh, did a New Year's Eve concert at Tustin Ranch. We did a, a concert with Pasadena Choir, um, youth choir at the, at the church there and it was really just an amazing experience to, to have all those sort of concerts lined up for us in tour. Uh, but it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty busy. We didn't stop much. <laughs> just one thing after another. And it was over in about 10 days, 12 days. So, yeah, it was just constantly on the go. Um, lots of, not a, not a lot of sleep, but lots of travelling. And uh, and we just, yeah, we learnt a whole heap of music to do it along the way and, and really represented ourselves well. And speaking of representing, I understand you were part of the first group of Aussie musicians to do that march. So how significant was that achievement? Yeah, that was huge. They actually had a band, um, I think it was two years ago now, would have been the year before COVID, that managed to go back over. So some of the guys who were in the original band went over a second time um, and they did like a tour uh, as part of that as well. Um, that for them was special, but for us to be the first to do that uh, as, as far as that youth band or that first version of the youth band, the new territorial youth band, uh, you know, it was one of those once in a lifetime things where you'd never get the same band again. And so I think f- for a lot of us, it was, you know, it was a special occasion. Um, it wasn't cheap, like it was, we had to pay our way, but, but it was a special occasion that people really took the opportunity for. And 
for us, it was about talking about our faith as well. So, you know, we, we made uh, a very conscious effort that the way we conducted ourselves and the way that we presented our items and our pieces of music was a representation of our faith and, and, and that as well, um, which is a huge part of what the Salvation Army is about, but also, you know, allowed us to, to show the skill set of the young musicians involved. And, and I think um, it's something that we don't often probably see in Australia more than what we do overseas. Uh, a lot of the state's marching bands, for instance, uh, you know, that was an amazing opportunity to see 500-piece marching bands from universities. We don't see that a lot in Australia uh, to, as, a, as a big uh, thing. So, you know, it was, to be able to see that was just quite, quite a, an inspirational experience as well for us. Um, and to be able to see people from all over America come to that march as well and, and just be friends, just be friendly. Uh, we all wanted to be there and, and do the right thing and, and do the right thing for the people watching as well, which was entertain them. And, you know, I think we, we achieved that. Uh, but yeah, coming back, it was we knew that it may have not been the same band again, or that band may have never even played again. Uh, but luckily, it continued on, and uh, and post COVID, I'm sure it will fire back up uh, and give people the opportunity. But to be a part of that was was pretty special. All right. Well, moving on to some music trivia now. For people that don't know, what is the difference between a trumpet and a cornet? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, the the Technical definition would be the conical bore versus the non-conical bore on the trumpet and the cornet. Uh, they pitch the same. Uh, there's a few cosmetic differences, the way it, where the tuning slides are and everything else. Um, the playing essentially is the same of how you do that, uh, but it's actually the yeah, it's actually the the tapering of the bore size, if that makes sense, from the bell to the to the mouthpiece that distinguishes those two. And you play both, is that right? Yeah, play both. Um, so when I'm playing brass band stuff, uh, normally I'm pl- or even early jazz styles pieces of music. Um, so the early uh, sort of pre Louis, early Louis stuff. Um, we usually use cornets. Um, there's a uh, it's two different types of cornets: a long bell cornet and a short bell cornet, or British style cornet. Um, I have both, but I in my collection. But I, I tend to use the long bell for the jazz stuff and the short. English stuff, uh, short English bell version for the for the brass band uh, music. Um, but yeah, I play both. I have a, a quite a large collection of trumpets. I'm actually uh, endorsed by a company called Tembi Australia, um, which is uh, Dave Tembi. Big shout out to Dave for building me some trumpets, um, which is lovely. He's based in Melbourne, and uh, and so I, I get my trumpets made for me now by him. Uh, but in my collection, I've got yeah a whole heap of Yamahas and Tembis and barks and a whole lot of other different brands of instruments over the years that I've collected uh, or been given as gifts or whatever. Um, So I try and look after them and play them all as as much as possible, which is fun. And given you're exposed to younger students at school and seeing them learning instruments and becoming musicians, are you confident about this next generation coming through? There's there's a lot of of similarities and a lot of differences in how we approach things. Um, Brass and woodwind... Uh, in not all cases, uh, you know, up here at least where I am in Mildura is, a, is struggling a little bit at the moment um, in the schools and that's there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Um, there's availability issues, there's the, the physical learning of those, there's a whole lot of variations of school programs and things that are going on. Um, but I we've seen a lot of shift to guitar vocal stuff, maybe shows like The Voice and Australian Idol have helped that a little bit get some popularity. 
Uh, what we do see, though, is, is creativity. We're seeing kids writing their own music. We're seeing kids uh, not listen just to pop, but listen to some of the, the alternative um, styles of music, um, you know, acoustic music and, and everything else that's going on with that. Um, a rise, especially up here, of the pub singer-type young person. Uh, so people who will, will be willing to, as they go through the end of their high school and, and maybe to make some money, um, you know, learn a lot of the pub classic songs and, and perform those in our clubs and um, and our restaurants up here, uh, which is great. So those those sort of things up there. Um, I have I have a lot of faith in kids being innovative uh, because you know they're learning careers that don't exist yet, and that's part of our job as teachers to inspire them to to look for what is the unknown. Uh, but I think as music goes through, we're we're seeing some creative kids come through. We're seeing some real interesting thought processes about how songs are made and the rise of the home studio and and all those sort of things um you know and i've i work with juniors all the way up so seven all the way up to year 12 and there's a lot of creativity in all those year levels uh, and a lot of the students are are trying to yeah make make the most of what they can out of these times as well being at home and using online recording uh, soundtrap.com is one that we use at school and that that's just opened up a whole world for some of these kids to learn how to loop bass projects and do different things and make their own backings and so that's pretty inspirational uh, and we've got a, I know at my school we've got a couple of kids who are writing their own music and putting them up on YouTube and yeah doing that sort of that world as well so I think we'll be okay I think we we just need to um we just need to let them create let them be a, a part of the the system um, and inspire them encourage them to to try new things and and then they can uh, they can be the best they can be in, in what they choose to do and the styles they choose to perform in. I don't advocate that kids particularly do jazz um, or rock or anything else. If if they want to play violin sonatas and learn Beethoven, great. If they want to play jazz, great. If they want to play ACDC, great. They're all creating. They're all making music, and and that's my job. My job's to enable that. Um, not sort of yeah, put my own styles or stamp on anything. Um, that's their job to put their own stamp on it and make it their own. So, Sounds good. And what's next for you now? Regional Victoria is opening up a bit more. Does that mean more gigs are coming up? We're losing a few still. Um, the border the border issue of New South Wales has been interesting, uh, especially up here. So I was meant to perform in Aubrey um, August – no, what are we in now? September, October 10th. I was meant to perform in Aubrey for the, uh, a big band uh, – performance and that's not happening now because people have to come from Melbourne, Sydney and over sort of near me. Um, it's just too high, too high a risk. So basically we're waiting. We're waiting to see what pops up. Uh, Melbourne's obviously still in lockdown or partial lockdown. Uh, until that opens up again, I won't be probably travelling too much um, because of, of the, the risk factors of bringing that back to my community if I'm if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, so I, I think I'm being a little bit cautious about what I travel and where I travel and, and what I do. Um, Teaching-wise has allowed me to, to have that income, as I said earlier, so it's it's allowed me not to have to worry too much about travelling to perform to, to pay the bills. Uh, but I think for for long for me at the moment, it's, it's about doing the online recording, it's about doing the online teaching if I need to, um, which I do for a couple of students. It's about doing what I can to keep myself creative and keep those around me creative uh, and try and learn some of the skills that are necessary to 
make the best recordings, the best videos, the best whatever I need to make uh, and sort of upskill myself as well. So uh, there are some talks about some recordings that we can do. Um, hopefully locally once people uh, are a little bit more open, we can gig, gig again here, do some performances or record a little bit better. Um, I know there's some recording stuff happening at the moment with people in town, so I um, hope to get involved in some of that and then, yeah, slowly make our way back to performing to the public and do the right thing and keep safe and then, yeah, hopefully we can get some music back on the airways and, and some creativity happening again. Thanks so much, Don. There's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot there. <laughs> I'm Stephanie Corsetti. That's all we have time for. We do have a special bonus episode next month. And if you have any feedback or comments, find me at Stefani Media on Twitter.